It's 1208 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So, Eric Dolstead, this might be, when you look at Wisconsin football, Wisconsin sports, you, you probably have to go back a long time, certainly more than a decade, to find a more depressing weekend. Oh, I mean, God. UW, which has pretty much owned Minnesota for years and years, Forever. N- not only do they lose at Camp Randall, but they get they get beaten really, really badly to Minnesota. And then... Last night you have the Packers game, and the Packers lay an egg in Minnesota as yep, well. Yep, 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 yep. Pretty bleak. You know, we're going to talk about this, I think, during the 1 o'clock hour. You know, it's interesting. There's new reports out, and pretty much everybody figures Mike McCarthy's gone now. That this is, because this is, I mean, there's no excuse for this Packers team. I mean, they're 4, 6, and 1, but Aaron Rodgers has played in all the games. I mean, if you look at... If you look at the bad years that they've had since Rodgers took over, it was when you know he was hurt. So sure. there's really yeah. no excuses. But it's interesting. I was reading something today that said that the two big jobs that are going to be open, assuming that McCarthy gets fired, and he's probably going to get fired, uh, are going to be Green Bay and Cleveland. Ah, okay. And interestingly, a lot of the national pundits are saying Cleveland is a better job. Cleveland is a better job than Green Bay because – the uh, most experts say if you look at the Cleveland Browns personnel, let, let's put quarterback out for a minute. Sure, sure. Up and down the roster, they say Cleveland has a lot better personnel Yikes. than Green Bay does. And then you got the quarterback. Now Green Bay has Aaron Rodgers, and but you know Aaron Rodgers got a couple more years left. Uh, Cleveland has Baker Mayfield, who's a rookie, mm-hmm. who might be the next Aaron Rodgers, the way he's playing. So they're saying, you know, Cleveland's got better personnel and a quarterback that's, you know, developing, but on the rise, who could be there for another 10 years, whereas best-case scenario, you've got crummy personnel in Green Bay and you've got a quarterback who might have a couple years left. And getting paid a lot of money, too, by the way. And getting paid a lot of money, so you're not really able to dip into the free agent pool. It's interesting. We'll talk a little bit about the 1 o'clock. But, I mean, the the point is there's a lot of national analysts that say the Cleveland Browns are a better job than the Green Bay Packers. How did it come to this? (laughs) Who knows? Maybe McCarthy will get that job. Well, that's what the speculation is, that, you know, he, he gets bounced at Green Bay that, you know, you got the the former the general manager in Cleveland, John Dorsey. You know, used to be at Green yeah. Bay. Oh, yeah. So you've got that relationship. You've got a lot of the Green Bay front office that is now in Cleveland. So you know, could you could you try to do it? Could you say, okay, look, this is what you did with Aaron Rodgers. Here, you've got Baker Mayfield. Try to develop oh, him. Man. Happy Monday, folks. Happy Monday, absolutely. Well, the good news, at least for me, was I didn't get any snow. Did you get any snow at your house? Nothing. Not, hardly a dust. No no snow at all at, at, at our house. That's, I guess I live a little bit north of Milwaukee, so we dodged it. So hopefully you dodged a bullet. But you can tell. You pull into the parking lot here at WTMJ, you can tell the people who live to the south because there's some cars that have all this snow on the roof and all this snow on the hoods, and then there's the rest of us who, you know, didn't. So that's all good. All right, let us get started. As we do every day, the first couple segments, we are on Facebook Live. We are live streaming, so go to Facebook.com slash 620WTMJ. You can check it out. I dressed up for the event. Actually, I dressed up for our our holiday show tonight because I just got to run some errands after work. So I thought, well, we're going to try to look presentable so you can check it out. Let us get started. And we start off with a serious topic. But my, my real question is, what were they supposed to do for... Weeks and weeks now, there has been this conversation about the the caravan of people moving from South America through Mexico wanting to come into the United States. And this has been a huge issue. It was something that the president talked about a lot during the elections, et cetera, et cetera. And the issue, of course, becomes under under U.S. law, once somebody gets 
to the country, once they step foot inside the United States, under the law, they are entitled to ask for asylum. At that point in time, under the law, and I understand President Trump thinks that maybe there's ways to circumvent it. Truthfully, I I don't think there are. Under the law, what happens is once somebody gets in here, steps one foot inside the United States, and says, "I, I want asylum, that triggers a whole series of protections. What happens is the person has to be given a preliminary hearing, at which point in time they then schedule them for a hearing later on, So you've got people who've come there saying, hey, we're being persecuted in whatever country that we're in. We want a hearing. The hearings are scheduled months and months um, away. And then what ends up happening is you have to either figure out how to detain that person and their family in many cases. And if you don't detain them, you let them go. Oftentimes they just kind of disappear and you never see them again and they're into this country. So the strategy that is being employed is let's not let people – get into the country in the first place. So then we don't have to worry about the legalities of how are we going to handle people asking for asylum. That is the strategy that is being used. All right, so you have a number of members of this caravan who are now in Tijuana, and it's creating an issue because there's a lot of people in Tijuana who are saying, we, we don't want these folks there. The Mexican government, I think, working with the U.S., is saying, we're going to start deporting people. You know, we're going to start sending people back to where they came. But you have a number of people who are in Tijuana, and you've got that there's a border crossing. If you've ever been there, I've been to Tijuana on many occasions. It's one of the ways that you go from Southern California, you go into Mexico. So here's the way the Washington Post talks about what happens yesterday. A march by Central American migrants waiting at the southwestern U.S. border veered out of control on Sunday afternoon as hundreds of people tried to evade a Mexican police blockade and run towards a giant border crossing that leads into San Diego. In response, the U.S. Customs and Border Protection Agency shut down the border crossing in both directions and fired tear gas to push back migrants from the border fence. The border was reopened later Sunday evening. Soon after the migrants began their mid-morning march to the border in Tijuana, they were met by Mexican federal police officers at a bridge that leads to the border crossing, through which millions of people and vehicles pass each day. At that point, many of the marchers bypassed the police by running across a dry motorbed. So the Mexican police come out, they block the bridge. And the response is a number of these people decide, okay, well, they're blocking the bridge. We're going to make a dash for it, and we're going to run through the dry riverbed. The police, carrying riot shields, formed a new line and appeared to contain the rush of migrants a 100 yards or more from the crossing. They erected metal barriers on the roads and sidewalks leading to the main border crossing for cars and trucks. A smaller group of migrants then tried to make their way to a train border crossing a few hundred yards away. So you have people in this group who are now trying to avoid the police. They're trying to rush past the Mexican police and get to the U.S. border. And again, once you step foot inside the U.S. border, then that triggers the rights you have if you're requesting asylum. All right, so a smaller group of migrants tried to make their way to a train border crossing a couple hundred yards away, 
where they were stopped by tear gas fired by U.S. Customs and Border Protection officers. After the gas cleared, Mexican federal police officers pushed the protesters back from the area of the train crossing. Customs and Border Protection officers also used tear gas at a separate point a few hundred yards away to drive back the migrants. All right. Now, in the group of people that were making the rush for the U.S. border and trying to get through the riverbed or trying to get through some of these various ways, there were men, there were women, and there were some children. And, of course, the result of this, some of the people were throwing rocks, but but they're, they're really rushing the border. That's what's going on. And in an effort to try to disperse them, immigration people on our side fired tear gas. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Was the use of tear gas to repel these people who were running to try to get into this country and trying to get around the Mexican police, was that inappropriate? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Nobody was severely injured in this, but the effect was some children... Some children were tear gassed. Some ladies, some women were tear gassed as well, because in some cases these were families, people rushing the border, and the federal authorities, U.S. federal authorities, working in conjunction with the Mexican officials, they used tear gas to disperse the crowd. Was this inappropriate? 414-799-1620. I'll tell you where I come down on this, and we will discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Once again, you can also watch us as we do the radio show, 414-799-1620, and facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. Back with your calls in just a moment. It's 1217. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1220, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's a common question this time of day. What would you like for Christmas this time of year? What would you like for Christmas? A growing answer is give me an experience. There is now a local guy to help you with that. Gene Miller runs through some options. 621 tomorrow on Wisconsin's Morning News. All right, so yesterday there was an altercation in in Tijuana at the border. This is one of the big border crossings from Mexico into the U.S. It goes into the San Diego area. What happened is you had hundreds and hundreds of people who were from this caravan who decided that they were going to essentially rush the border. The idea being if you can get into the U.S., once you set foot there, you request asylum, and then you trigger all these various legal protections. The Mexican government was trying to stop people from making that rush. The U.S. government was trying to stop people from making that rush. Number of people apparently ran around police barricades and roadblocks, ran through dry riverbeds, essentially trying to get to the U.S. Some, some threw some stuff at the customs people who were along the border and the immigration people in an effort to stop this rush for the border, for people to illegally enter the country, they use tear gas. And so now you have these images of people being tear gassed at the border, including some women and some children who had been dispersed after the tear gas was issued. Did border authorities go too far? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Robert in Janesville. Robert, you're first. Hello. Hey, I don't have a problem with it at all. You have to have an orderly system for getting into the country, and we can't set a precedent where people get to just decide, well, we're going to bum rush the the border, so we're going to let them in because you know we don't want to make anybody follow any rules. Does it you know? does it bother you that included in the people who were tear gassed were women and small children? Not at all. That you know they were there basically as props to begin with, but you know if they're there, they they knew what the situation was before they got there. 
there's you know there's legal and proper ways to enter this country as well as any other country and they just you know they're not the ones that are going to decide how the process is done but that there is an established process for entering the country and they just elect not to follow it well i mean thanks i mean i see i i am i am torn on the one hand because the the the, the pictures bother me as well I mean, these images of, you know, small children, barefoot kids in diapers who are being tear gassed, that, that is, that's just something that should bother everybody. But, and, and here's the important thing. What was the cause of that? What, why were those kids put in those positions? Was it because the U.S. government decided to indiscriminately throw tear gas at this group? Or was it because the parents of the children decided that, all right, we're, we're going to try to storm the gates. You know, we, we've, the Mexican government has barricades up there. We're going to grab our kids. We're going to try to run through dry riverbanks or we're going to try to go through this train thing. You know, what, what was the cause of this? And the cause of it, frankly, and it's hard for some people to hear, was the fact that the folks were trying to run into this country illegally. Now, if they had done other things, now some I've got some people saying, well, maybe they should have fired warning shots or rubber bullets. Now, I mean, I think that would have been clearly excessive. But it, I think the border agents have a right to try to dispel mobs, and that's what the the tear gas was. And maybe by doing this yesterday, you send a message to some people that look, we're just not going to allow people to make an onslaught onto the border. So, you know, don't do it. Now, look, I'm not naive. I understand what's going to happen next. You're going to have people that are going to be looking for all sorts of ways. They're not going to go through at one of the legal entry points. They're going to try to find some other way around this, and there's the ways that we can sneak in, et cetera, et cetera. Well, all right, I I understand that that's going to happen. But if you're going to have a mob that rushes, in this case, the U.S. border, I think it's unrealistic to expect that there's not going to be some response. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Jeff in Wauwatosa. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. How you doing? Hi, Jeff. Yeah, what do you I, think? I, I kind of took the wind out of my sails on both of them on, on the top, but I agree um, 100% with what they did. The problem is is that the, um, the government needs – this should have been done presidents ago. Now, all of a sudden, it's coming to a pinhead, and uh, like everything else, it's so out of control. But these people have to come in legally. Um, and as far as the kids, and the, uh, these people know what they're going to run into. They've talked to other people that try to come in. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I, I, Well, I mean, I think, I mean, thanks for guys. I mean, look, this is, it is a mess, and I agree with you, you know, and, and there's no, there's no question about it that if, if you would say to me, gee, you can grow up and raise your kids in Honduras, or you can raise your kids in the United States of America, where, you know, where do you think they're going to have a chance for a better life? And clearly the answer is the United States of America. I, I understand all that, but unless, you are a complete and total proponent of, of open borders. And I don't think anybody, even in 2018, I don't think anybody can say, well, we just we shouldn't have any sort of border control at all. There needs to be limitations and there needs to be ways to do this. And I, as we have talked about before, I don't think you can just have thousands and thousands of people on a regular basis presenting themselves at the border, being allowed to come into this country and then essentially stay here for a long period of, of time. We, we need to figure out a better way to deal with the asylum question. To me, that's where the law needs to change. People present themselves, they apply for asylum, 
And then maybe what happens is they have to wait outside the country while that thing is processed as opposed to letting them in. There's all sorts of different things that you can do because I'll be honest with you, the idea of the images, the optics of customs officials, you know, lobbing tear gas into people, including women and children, that's bad optics. But I don't think anybody wants this. The question becomes, how did we get to this stage? And maybe it's because you have some people, some of these migrants who've decided that, all right, we're, we're going to avoid the Mexican police. We're going to run around barricades. We're going to make a, a dash for the border. And that then requires the government to respond. Now, I don't know how true it is that some people were throwing projectiles at the at the customs officials. If that was true, well, it's another justification for, I guess, using the tear gas to cause the crowd to disperse. But regardless, you just can't allow large groups to come running at the border. Joan in Wind Lake. Joan, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, I think the government absolutely did the right thing. We have to have orderly entry into this country. And if we don't, not only are we getting those asylum seekers, but we are getting terrorists in. We're getting a lot of drugs in the country. And as far as women and children, the women made that decision and the parents made that decision to put their children in harm's way. And a lot of them... They know those children could be nice shields because it's raising all the the ruckus that it is. Yeah, I mean, thanks. I don't, I don't know. I I don't know that there's that much of a thought process that's going into this. And, And the truth of the matter is, I mean, a lot of the people. Probably the vast majority of people who are trying to enter this country, they're, they're not drug dealers and they're not criminals. What they are is they're people who are looking for this better life. And as I said earlier, I mean, all right, Honduras or the U.S., where are you going to have a better life? Well, I don't think there's any question about that. But still, that means that there is a way to go about it. Our asylum laws are all screwed up. And candidly, it is unfortunate that over the last couple of years, we couldn't take a better look at figuring out how to reform those so that maybe you could have a more orderly system of dealing with this. And now that you have the Democrats controlling the House and the Republicans controlling the Senate and President Trump, there's no hope, in my opinion, for any sort of meaningful um, immigration reform, which means this is going to be going on for the foreseeable future. It's 1229. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1236, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Giannis and the Bucks head to Charlotte for a matchup with the Hornets. Our coverage of Buckshots with Ted Davis starts this evening, 530. Be sure to tune that in. number of people mentioned this to me over the weekend. Quick reminder, it is a charity event that I am proud to be affiliated with. Wednesday night. My wife and I, we're going to be out at Taste of Washington County, which is a big fundraiser for the Boys and Girls Club of Washington County. It's at the Washington County Fairgrounds from 6 till 10 p.m. A lot of area restaurants get together. They serve food. They've got great silent auctions and all sorts of things. And um, I'm going to be serving ribs. I'm, I'm, I am going to be in that serving line. I'll be passing out ribs. So this is, again, it's a big fundraiser for Boys and Girls Clubs of Washington County, which is a charity near and dear to my heart. So if you're in that area and you're looking for something to do, buy a ticket, come on out and say Say hello. All right. There was a time, and I recognize maybe I'm dating myself, but there was a time when the hottest cartoon strip going, first of all, where cartoons, cartoon comic strips in the papers were, were a big deal. First of all, there was a time when newspapers were a big deal. That time is kind of passing. And then there was a time where the funny papers, the comic strips, were a very big deal. And for quite a while, the hottest comic strip around was Peanuts by Charles Schultz, the 
the travails of Charlie Brown and Linus and Lucy and, and the gang. Matter of fact, you know, even though Charles Schultz has passed away, there's still, I mean, a lot of papers still rerun, you know, old Peanuts comic strips. In any event, Peanuts, Peanuts translated to the TV screen in 1965 when they came out with a special called the Charlie Brown Christmas, which they still show to this day. It is an instant classic, the tune we just played a couple minutes ago, that, that comes from that. And everybody knows the story about Charlie Brown as they try to find the true meaning of Christmas in a commercialized world. That was December of 1965. It was incredibly successful. And it led to a number, CBS owned the rights, and it led to a number of other Peanuts specials that they produced over the next several years. I was looking, um, Charlie Brown's All-Stars. You don't know, a lot of these you don't see as much anymore. That was about baseball, came out in 66. Um, it's the Great Pumpkin Charlie Brown, which you see around Halloween. You know, Linus waiting for the Great Pumpkin to come. That's um, That came out in 1966, and they still show it today. Then they had a Valentine's thing, uh, et cetera, et cetera. They had a summer thing, but it, it went on, and, and a lot of those have kind of fallen out of favor. The big ones are, again, the, the Great Pumpkin Charlie Brown, Charlie Brown Christmas, and then a Charlie Brown Thanksgiving, which uh, came out in 1973. So this was a little bit later to the game. But a Charlie Brown Thanksgiving has been around, again, since 1973, and it's shown repeatedly during the holiday year. All right, so you might say, Jeff, all right, it's been around since 1973. What What is controversial? Well, all right, Charlie Brown Thanksgiving, which aired last week, last week it aired Wednesday on Thanksgiving Eve, has apparently generated a huge, huge amount of buzz on social media as being politically incorrect and downright racist. Why would this be racist? In in the TV show, at one point in the show, there is an impromptu Thanksgiving dinner that the gang all has. That the holiday feast is toast, jelly bean, jelly beans, and ice cream in Charlie Brown's backyard. All right, so that's it. So okay, again, you're, you're saying why why is this controversial? Well, all right, here, here's here's this, and I'm looking at one of these images from this. At the head of the table sits Linus, all right? He's at one head of the table. Then down one side of the table, there's Charlie Brown's sister, Sally. There's Charlie Brown, there's Peppermint Patty, and there's Snoopy. They are on one side of the table. On the other side of the table, sitting in a rickety chair, is a character named Franklin, who happens to be the only black character in in Peanuts, or at least in Peanuts of this generation. Franklin is sitting in a rickety chair. So he's by himself on one side of the table. And at one point in the show, the chair gives way and the Franklin character falls over. All right. This has been this way since 1973. Let me share with you the way this story is written. You're a racist man, Charlie Brown. Critics are slamming ABC's A Charlie Brown Thanksgiving for seating its only black character, Franklin, alone on one side of the holiday table in a rickety old lawn chair. Meanwhile, white friends, including Peppermint Patty, Charlie Brown, Sally, and even Snoopy, are seated across from him in real chairs as they feasted, Twitter users pointed out. The special, which debuted November 20th, 1973, aired again last Wednesday, prompting social media outrage 
over the gang's highly unwoke picnic table arrangement. Here's some of the tweets. Why is Franklin in Charlie Brown's Thanksgiving sitting all by himself at the table? Man, things that I did not notice as a child. All right. Not watch this is another tweet. Not watching Charlie Brown Thanksgiving anymore until they sit some people on the same side of the table as Franklin. All right. This uh dot da, 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 da. at one point in time, poor lonesome Franklin topples over in his half broken chair. They give our friend the busted chair and he won't even they won't even sit on the same side of the table. More proof that Charlie Brown and his cohorts are racist. All right. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Charlie Brown's Thanksgiving special has been aired repeatedly since 1973. This has been a scene that has been in it since 1973. As near as I can tell, until this year, there has never been any sort of controversy. So here is my question. All right, is this is this racist? Is this something that needs to be pulled off the air? Or are people trying to, again, manufacture a controversy where none exists? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And by the way, just for... Just for historical historical you know perspective, uh, Charles Schultz, who was the creator of Peanuts, he added the Franklin character in 1968 as a way of saying, "Hey, my comic strip needs to be integrated." So nobody has ever accused Charles Schultz of, of being racist, as far as I know. Matter of fact, he had to fight to get this character in there, but. But you've got the one black character who's on in the rickety lawn chair on the other side of the table. Should we be offended or do we desperately need to, what's the phrase, get a life? 414-799-1620. We discuss in a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1243. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1245, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, the Thanksgiving special for the Charlie Brown Peanuts thing has been around since 1973. Some people now have their undies in a major league bundle because they've just noticed for the first time since 1973 that there is one scene, one scene in the show where three or four kids, including Charlie Brown, are on one side of the table. Franklin, who is the only black character in Peanuts, or at least he was the first black character in peanuts he's by himself on the other side of the table he's in this rickety folding chair that gives way and falls down oh this is terrible you've got the black kid isolated on one side and he's in the rickety folding chair i'm never watching this show again really 414-799-1620 are we overreacting a bit kathy in west dallas kathy you're on wtmj good afternoon good afternoon this is ridiculous i social media is just out of out of control it's a cartoon. I've watched it since I was a child. My granddaughter and I watched it the other night. This is this is just so wrong. It, it should be left alone and for people to enjoy. Well, well, right. I mean, the idea that now somebody is saying, "All right, there must have been this subliminal message that you 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 isolate the black child and then you give the black child the, the defective chair." I mean, it's a comic strip. It's a cartoon strip. I'm sure. One of the things that they were doing is they picked the character to put on the one side so that they could show the chair falling down and people could get a laugh out of it. Okay, and it just happened to be the black character. But so now this is going to be a cause celeb or, hey, we have to pull this off the air. People sometimes desperately need to get a life. I agree. I am, and it's, it's the holiday season. You can't even wish Merry Christmas to people anymore because if, if, if social media 
it's got to be happy holidays. Well, right. Thanks for that. That's another topic as well. But I mean, I, I was, look, I, I think one of the things that about the, the various peanut specials, particularly the Halloween one, the Thanksgiving one, and certainly the Christmas one, is the fact that these, these are enduring. Um, they, they touch on, on just timeless themes, which is why, you know, they're, they're still in demand. I mean, the Christmas special debuted in December of 1965. And so, you know, 50 plus years later, people are still watching it. Multi generations of people have grown up watching that show because it is a timeless sort of situation. Now, in 1965, when the Christmas one came out, the peanut strip wasn't even integrated. So, I mean, it's all white kids. So should we say, well, there, there's no black kids that are depicted in this cartoon from 1965. Well, we, we need to eliminate that as well because it's racist. I mean, I, I think what happened here in this Thanksgiving thing is they, they were they were going for a joke. That That's what they were. And it just happened to be that this cartoon character was there. But for people to now say, oh, my gosh, this is so terrible and it's racist. And look at the discrimination. Really? Let's talk to Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. I think that the people who have issues with Franklin are reaching and just kind of want attention. I go up to Minneapolis and St. Paul at least once a year where the peanuts are huge and they have, like, statues of the characters all over the place. Right. And I have never once seen any racist behavior at all around the statues or in the area. Yeah. I I mean, and and I don't think any, uh, up until this year, I don't think anybody looked at that and saw this as anything other than it was, well, you got a bunch of kids that are in the yard and, gee, boy, one of the chairs collapses. Ha, ha, ha. You get the joke. That's all this was. And But now people are trying to give all sorts of other meaning to it. Yeah, and it was. I think it was really making fun of the fact that they had like cheap stuff around, you know, like right. like in the Christmas episode, the tree right. was just this little twig of a tree, and then they had like cheap furniture. Right, exactly. Up. No, thanks for calling. And, and it just in this particular case, it happened to be at the time there was only one black character in this cartoon strip. And keep in mind, Charles Schultz pushed to integrate Peanuts in 1968. So, you know, you, you've now got this little scene with one of the supporting characters, and oh, this is going to be terrible. Um, interesting text here. Jeff, come on. Who gets denigrated more than Charlie Brown? The Lucy football thing, the kites being called a blockhead. Um, what does he have white privilege because he gets a good chair? <laughs> I think there is that, that kind of element. It's a cartoon strip. And, um, you know, one of the things that, that's out there is that the fact that, you know, we, we have again people who are trying to be upset about things when maybe there's really no reason to. Tom and Muskego. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Hello there. Hi, Tom. Hey, uh, I'm kind of outraged because uh, I'm a Caucasian, and they portray Pigpen as a Caucasian in all the episodes and in all the cartoons. So we, can we just call it even? Well, right, and Pig. I mean, thanks. And, and Pigpen, of course, I mean, here, the, the, the guy's a slob. He smells. People don't want to be around him. You know, what? What? what like, the bottom line of all this is... You know, Wagner's rule of life, number one, is life is tough, get a helmet. This isn't even that sort of situation. It, you know, this isn't, a, in my opinion, a position where anybody, anybody, any reasonable person has a right to be offended. And you try to look at some of these things which are presented in childlike kind of views. I really seriously doubt that there's any any parent out there who's going to sit around and say, oh, I've never seen this before, but look, it's the black kid that's on the one side of the table and his chair falls down. So that's this, this subtle this subtle example of racism that must be there. 
I, I mean, to see this, you must fit into that category of the people I describe as the politically correct and the perpetually offended. But, I mean, I don't know where this is going to go. I don't. The question, I guess, becomes is now they're going to be pressure to cut this scene out of future showings, or I don't think you could really add to it, or maybe are we going to get to the point with, for example, this special, like so many other things, um, to kill a mockingbird, for example, you can't show the movie, you can't have the book, you can't do a play because people, you know, can't handle some of these things. Where do you draw the line? And wouldn't we better be better off concentrating on the real examples of racism that are out there? Just asking. 1252, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 1254, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The 2019 Brewers schedule is already out and they're open. They open next year's season at home against the Cardinals. Hmm, that's pretty cool. At home against the Cardinals. It's been the Rockies the last couple of years. Text Brewers to the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line at 414-799-1620 to see the schedule. A couple interesting stories over the weekend. Uh, first of all, former Milwaukee County Parks Director Sue Black, who was really a, a rising star in the parks industry, and I, I mean, I've known Sue Black for a long time. I haven't talked to her in ages, but she, I, I think, she did a lot of good stuff with the Milwaukee County Park System, and she and Chris Abley, after Scott Walker left, she and Chris Abley kind of ran afoul of each other, and, you know, ultimately, um, ultimately, um, you know, she she was let go. She had some dust-ups with, uh, you know, she had some dust-ups with Walker as well. But, you know, during the time that she was at the Milwaukee County Parks, for example, they won an award in 2009 honoring excellence in park management. And, you know, she was, I think she was highly thought of, but she had very, very strong opinions and she kind of ran into some uh, bosses who had very strong opinions as well. But anyhow, Chris Abley fires her in 2012 after nine years as the county parks director. And what happens is she goes over and she starts working, got a good job working for the state of Arizona. And she was she was the director of parks for the state of Arizona for about the last three and a half years. She was fired on Friday. It has been a turbulent time. Um the papers were revealing allegations about how she had developed state land without regard for certain laws and things like that. Don't know the merit of any of this, but you know, Sue Black, big figure in Milwaukee County for the longest period of time, went on to another really big job, and that one's kind of ended like the job in Milwaukee did. She was let go, but um, there's no question she she's a she might be controversial, but she gets stuff done. Here's the other story that really caught my attention Saturday night. Saturday night, you have a stolen van. Um, the van was stolen near South 65th Street and West Mitchell. What happened was, all right, so it's a stolen van. Police get the report that it's stolen. They begin, they try to pull it over. The van, as always happens, takes off. The van flees from squads for about 20 blocks until reaching West Mitchell Street and Miller Parkway. So the high-speed chase involving the stolen van vehicle comes to a stop and what happens well it's kind of like the clown car at the shrine circus all these clowns get out in this case it's all these teenagers three teenagers get out and run six end up staying inside there's nine teenagers inside this stolen van that led the cops on a high-speed chase nine of them the driver 14 years old all right 
Think back to when you were 14. All right, you're looking for something to do two nights after Thanksgiving. Hey, I know. Let's get a bunch of kids together. Let's go steal a van, and then let's go lead the cops on a high-speed chase. And yet this is what passes, I guess, for entertainment in Milwaukee. They've caught eight of the nine. The 14-year-old's going to get charged. There was a 17-year-old who's going to get charged with bail jumping, um, stolen cars, and obstruction of justice. The remaining six teenagers are going to be referred to juvenile authorities, and there's one that end up getting away. Just another night for juveniles in Milwaukee. It's 1258. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 107, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So, Eric, you know what we did last night around the Wagner household? And it's mostly the royal wave. It's my wife and I. Know what we did? I, uh, you watched the Packers game. I know that. Oh, yeah, that was, that was tough. You but, put up the Christmas tree? Put up the Aha. Christmas tree. That, that was exactly right. And this is, see, this is, this is our first year in our, our new house. It's okay. our second year spending Christmas together. But last year we were kind of spread out with different places. So this is our first year. And we went out and got a, I understand, don't send me the notes. We got a fake tree. It's a nice fake tree. But it's, <laughs> it, it's just, it's so, took it out of the box, set the whole thing up. And I thought we were going to knock it off after I got the thing up. You know, we got it up, we put it together, put it in the spot. And then, um, I underestimated my wife, who said, "Well, no, 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 we're 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 decorating you the whole hang up thing." Some ornaments. Oh yes. well, that's and then so next thing I know, I'm hauling like five or six of these boxes, and it seems to me I have hauled this stuff around from West Bend and Whitefish Bay. It seems like I'm always moving these boxes, mm-hmm. but I moved them from the basement upstairs, and um, she took over, and so the Christmas tree is up. And I got to admit, it looks pretty darn good. Oh, good, you know? um, very nice. So very when nice. does the tree go up at the building? We put house? ours up this weekend as well, so okay. it's already up, and it has all the kids' stuff on it. You know that they've made over the past few years, and a bunch of old ones from like. Like 50 years ago, you know, i got to put up some of those. So. Right. Yeah, I was actually, because we, we have ornaments from my life and from her sure. life. She, she was saying, oh, this is really a cute ornament. Like, what's what, what's the significance of it? And I kind of, I don't know. I'm a guy. So you're, you're obviously a fake tree as well? Yeah, we do the fake ones only because it's easier and simpler to pull it out of the basement. Right, and the lights were all on it and stuff. No, yeah, it was yeah, but no. None of the lights work. See, I don't know if yours has is yours. Ours pre- is new. Yeah. yeah so so give you, I'll give you two years. I'll ask and you. And then we'll two talk about. Okay, now, got it. Doing. All right. But in any event, okay. So at the Billstead household, the Wagner household, yeah. we are we are ready for Christmas. All right. Well, one of the things that I think people aren't ready for is, for all intents and purposes, the end of the Green Bay Packers season. I understand they got five more games to go. I, I get it, but. Realistically, what were the odds that it was like three percent chance of making the playoffs? And then you need to have all these things happen, and that is assuming that they win out. Now, tell me the way the Packers are playing, how they're going to go into Chicago and beat Chicago. I mean, it just. But I, I guess hope, hope springs eternal. But I, I live in this thing called the real world, and the real world is for the second year in a row, the Packers are in all likelihood. That doesn't mean I'm not a fan, but they're not going to make the playoffs. I was looking at. The record um, since Mike McCarthy has been the coach. McCarthy took over in 2006. They went eight and eight the first year, and then the second year they went 13 and three. That was Brett Favre's last year. Uh, And then after that, the Aaron Rodgers decade. First year, Aaron Rodgers and Mike McCarthy went six and 10. But after that, 11-5. Eleven and five. Uh, then you had the 2010 year, which was the 10 and six Super Bowl winning season. Then 15 and one. Then 11 and five. 2013, they went eight, seven and one. But remember, that was the year where Rodgers was out for 
a chunk of it when, when his shoulder got hurt. They went eight, seven, and one. But even then, they made the playoffs. Then they went 12 and four, 10 and six, 10 and six. Last year, seven and nine. But of course, they were, they had won like the first four or five games and then kind of fell apart after Rodgers got hurt. And, and this year, let's face it, the Packers have been a hot mess. They're four, six, and one. They're going nowhere fast. But it is a team that's been record-wise on on a decline 2014 12 and 4 then 10 and 6 then 10 and 6 then 7 and 9 now 4 and 6 figure you know best case scenario they win 4 out of 5 maybe and you know 8 7 and 1 but it could it could go south so what what you see is you see a team that's kind of it is what it is and one of the things that has to get people's attention is if you agree that Aaron Rodgers is still one of the premier quarterbacks in the NFL this is now he while even though he's playing injured he he played played the whole season and lately i mean rogers well he just doesn't look like the same quarterback having a great year statistically but uh touchdowns versus interceptions but still they they are struggling now most of the national commentators figure that this is it for mike mccarthy that it's a team that's kind of in decline, that the Packer fan base isn't going to tolerate anymore, McCarthy, et cetera, et cetera. Interestingly, as I was saying at the start of the show, I was reading something, and somebody said, you know, it's gotten to the point where the Cleveland Browns job, which is also going to be available at the end of the year, the Cleveland Browns job is pet- probably a better job than the Packers job because, let's put aside the quarterbacks for a minute, if you just look at the personnel, the personnel that the Browns have, versus the personnel that the Packers have, excluding quarterback, Browns have better players. Now, maybe that's because the Browns have been drafting you know, the top player every year. They've gotten the number one pick in the draft every year and in all the following rounds for years and years. But they said, you know, up and down the roster, Browns have a lot better players than, than the Packers. Then you've got the issue of quarterback and, the, you know, obviously the opportunity to coach, you know, Aaron Rodgers still at the peak of his career is great, but the Browns have Baker Mayfield, who's viewed by many as one of the real rising stars in the NFL. So a lot of, at least some people were arguing that the Browns' job is more attractive than the Packers' job. But that presumes that Mike McCarthy is going to be let go. The truth of the matter is, if you watch the Packers, and again, I'm not a sports expert like a lot of the sports experts we have around here, the problem is Rodgers doesn't have a great supporting cast. You, The Packers... Well, they've gotten old and they've gotten injured. And, you know, Jordy Nelson, gone, but Nelson's not in his prime anymore. Randall Cobb's making a lot of money, but Randall Cobb has been hurt. You've gotten player after player after player who just, you know, hasn't been able to perform. And that's that's as much perhaps on Ted Thompson, the former general manager, as it is on Mike McCarthy. Because, you know, if you're the coach, doesn't matter. You You can only work with what you have to work with. But let's tee this up, because in the wake of what is obviously a disappointing Packers season, um, they appear on their way to miss the playoffs uh, again, and they're missing it in an ugly sort of fashion. The question is, is it McCarthy's fault, and does he need to go? 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Or maybe even the better question is, even if it's not his fault, even if it's a situation where, you know, he's... He's got aging players who aren't performing well. Does he still need to go anyways? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. In the wake of another disappointing Packers loss, is it time for a coaching change or 
Should they bring him back and give him one more chance? He did win the Super Bowl in 2010 with a magnificent job of coaching. 414-799-1620. What do you think? I'll tell you where I come down on this as well. It's 115. If you're on the line, please hold on. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 117, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Look, I'm just a fan like you are when it comes to the Packers. I, I think for years and years... The brilliance of Aaron Rodgers overcame a lot of personnel deficiencies. And the reason they didn't go further was because you know, there, there, was, there were bad defenses, just flat-out bad defenses, and Rodgers just couldn't score enough points to overcome that. Now what I think you see happening is the offense has gotten bad as well. The players you used to count on are gone. They've gotten old. Rodgers, I don't think he is as good as he used to be. I think he's starting to show signs of age, which isn't to say that he's not a great player. But, you know, Mike McCarthy has what he has. Is it fair to blame McCarthy and fire him? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Terrence in Milwaukee. Terrence, good afternoon. Good afternoon. How are you? I am well, thank you. Okay, everybody wants Mike McCarthy's head. Should that happen? I think not. I think McCarthy's a fine coach. I think he is uh, doing what he can do with the uh, groceries that he was provided. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of it falls on former GM Ted Thompson, who I am a big fan of. I I just think he, he, he missed on some of these picks that are being accounted for in his uh, draft and develop philosophy is stinging us today because these guys aren't developing and they just aren't the players that we anticipated they would be today. I I like your analogy about the groceries. What you're saying is you're not going to be able to make a great steak dinner if somebody comes home with some, some potatoes and some asparagus that you're you're not going to be able to do it. What, what, well, what needs to happen then? I mean, obviously you have a team right now that is in decline. Do you, think that McCarthy's the guy if, if you're are you, are you looking at a couple year rebuilding project is that what they're looking at what I'm thinking and what I see first of all I'm a Packers fan every day of the week seven days a week mm-hmm. no matter what goes on with the game by game action or the overall year in general uh, so I'm, I bleed green and gold hey B I think as I said about McCarthy just working with what he has to work with I think Valdez Gantley and St. Brown may turn out to be really good pro players. But as of today, they're year one rookies. This is a complicated West Coast offense that these guys are every game probably getting better, picking up stuff, but they are just not giving you the results that you need Sunday, Thursday night, and Monday night to come out with more points than the other team. So you don't think it's everything i think that reflects in rogers play i think that reflects in just mccarthy being um you know so pass happy with his offense Mm -hmm. that he won't run the ball as much as he should i just think that when it's all said and done that a a packer fans just got to be loyal to our team chalk this season up to just a down year and hope that they go out make some moves in free agency because we are not a team who we're five years away from being in no, thank, thanks. I'm sorry. I just didn't mean to cut you off. I, I, your cell phone was cutting out there. Well, I mean, see, that that's the, the question. I mean, that's what you have to decide. Is this is the Packers team right now a team on the decline? And if you look, again, if you look at the records, that's what the records have been showing the last five years. Again, last year, I understand Aaron Rodgers is out, so you might want to write that one off. 
this year, well, Aaron Rodgers is injured, but but he's getting older, and, and he was, in fact, back. And if the problem is you've got a supporting cast that's not good enough, then the question becomes, all right, what what are you going to do about this? Is it is it going to take, and it's not a question of not being a fan, but is it going to take two or three or four years to get back to prominence? Does Aaron Rodgers have that much time? And if you do say, okay, this is going to be, if not a complete rebuild, it's going to be a reloading process. Is Mike McCarthy the guy to, to lead that, or would you be better off, I don't know, maybe moving on and getting a different voice? 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Tim in Sheboygan. Tim, you're on WTMJ. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm Hi, Tim. a huge fan of your guys' program. Here. Thank you. It's very kind of you. I appreciate it. So I guess my overall thoughts here, um, you know, I, I kind of agree with you on the on the personnel. And, and Devontae Adams is a legitimate number one receiver, right. I'd say. Um, I think it first starts with the Aaron Jones problems we were seeing. I mean, everybody sitting on their couch at home, it's easy for us to say that he's a legitimate running back. And it, it took him, what, right. like week nine for right. him to be the featured running back. So... I think that's that's a big problem. You know, the defense was struggling in the beginning of the year, but now you know they're they're showing significant signs of improvement. And what I think the big problem with McCarthy is, I mean, you look at the top teams like the Chiefs, the Rams, and the Saints, and they got creative offense. They're really spreading it. They're they're right. switching off between pounding and running it and then airing it out. So I I think I'm on fire McCarthy because he's refusing to change to the, to the new style you know yeah what i don't know tim and what i don't know if i were going to defend the coach it would be well maybe he's just dealing with what he's got because you know he, he doesn't have jordy nelson he doesn't have randall cobb he's got rookie wide receivers and maybe maybe they're just not i don't want to say necessarily good enough but maybe they're just they don't understand the pro game enough to do some of the things that you'd like to do to be innovative yeah, yeah, I guess so. I, I, yeah. I, I, I like what I've, I've seen from from St. Brown and Cantling, yeah. though. I, it's hard to say, but you know, then you know, the clock management. You know, I think we, well, he's been out coached. Yeah, thanks. No, I think I think you know you can go back to several games, and I, I think you could argue that he's been out coached. Look, here's what I think is going to happen for for better or worse. And again, this is from the perspective of a Packer fan. I think, I think people. I, I mean, I think when it comes to the world of pro sports, I've always said this: if you look, college coaches. A lot of times, whether it's basketball or football, they stay there forever because what happens is there's always a constant turnover of players. You get the freshmen that come in, and then they end up leaving. There's a turnover. In the pro game, it's it's different, whether it's baseball, basketball, whatever. I think what happens is you, you have the pro athletes that, after a while, that they tune out to their coaches. I, Bill Belichick's an exception. There are exceptions. But in general, I, I think after a while, they end up tuning out, and I I guess I, I think that that's sort of happened in Green Bay. I don't know that you can get somebody that's a better coach than Mike McCarthy because I actually think he's a really darn good coach. But the truth of the matter is you, you have a team, whether it's Ted Thompson's fault or whether it's McCarthy's fault or whether it's a combination, you have a team that is moving in the wrong direction. And I'm not sure that the Packer fan base is, is going to put up with that. You've got Aaron Rodgers, who can play at a, at a high level, hopefully for another couple years. I think there is kind of a, a win-now mentality. And I, I think maybe the players have tuned out Mike McCarthy. My prediction is he's going to be gone. I would not be surprised to see him end up in Cleveland next year. They're looking for a head coach. You've got the... John Dorsey, who was one of the executives in Green Bay. You've got all these people in the Green Bay front office. I, I could see McCarthy going there, and I could see him doing a pretty darn good job. I think probably, you know, get ready for a change in Green Bay. 
um, regardless of what happens from here on out. It's 125. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 128, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Following a general election loss, what will Rebecca Clayfish do, ne- do next? She joins John McCure at 520 today on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. She is, of course, the outgoing lieutenant governor of the state of Wisconsin. I, I am a huge fan of Bette Midler. Have you ever seen? I, I've seen Bette Midler in, in concert a couple times, once in Milwaukee, once in Las Vegas. I, I like Bette Midler. I think she's incredibly entertaining. I, I, uh, she does a great great musical show she's incredibly talented i think she's a great actress i i loved her years and years ago in the rose which was her debut where she kind of played a sort of doomed singer a la janice uh, a la janice joplin she i thought was one of my favorite movies is ruthless people and she was in that movie i i, I, I think she's incredibly talented so that that's the background she's also lost her mind I mean, just she's she's very very talented, but lost her mind. Maybe this is what happens when you live in L.A. too long. She's seventy two years old, and and she's she is to the left what Roseanne Barr became to the right. Sort of like that that crazy aunt who just has no impulse control when it comes to Twitter. Now she's been doing this a, a number of times lately. Um, she she decided to take on. Uh, Melania Trump, the first lady, by you know posting a picture of Melania Trump back in 2000 when she was a model and she's wearing this like really skimpy sort of thing, and and Bette Midler has this really offensive sort of tweet that she puts out. And again, if the situation had been reversed and if it had been somebody that had done something like that about somebody who was on the left, there would be huge outrage. But it's Bette Midler, and it's on the left, on, and she's on the left, so nobody decides to you know care about it. Well, um. What what she ended up doing on, on Friday is she decided to go on Twitter, and what she did is she blamed a low minimum wage for some of the stuff that happened on Black Friday. Now, Black Friday was pretty tame in general, but as always happens, and it's been happening for all the years I've been doing a radio show, there's always stories about Black Friday where you have people that get into fights, you know, the crazy people that show up at 4.30 in the morning outside the Walmart because they want the Blu-ray disc player or whatever for $59, and they get into a fist fight over who gets the last one. This is not a unique story. So Bette Midler sends out a, a tweet. How was your Black Friday? No injuries, I hope. It's incredible we have to fight over stuff. If there were a decent minimum wage or if workers were treated fairly and got a tiny portion of kinds of salaries and bonuses CEOs uh, pay themselves, we wouldn't. So in other words, because we don't have a $15 an hour minimum wage, that's why two people fight over the last little color TV set at the Walmart. Huh? (laughs) I mean, you want to talk about a disconnect. Bottom line is, it's not like people saying shut up and dribble, but all right, I don't mind Bette Midler participating in tweets, but just like Roseanne Barr, maybe you should try to be a little more thoughtful if you're going to do it. Just saying. It's 135, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 2018 marks the 13th year of Kids to Kids Christmas from Capco Metal Stamping and WTMJ. In that time, we, through your generosity, have given away nearly 200,000 toys to kids in need. To find out where you can drop off a toy or make a donation, head to WTMJ.com right now. And don't forget, this Friday, we will be live. It is our first 
Kids to Kids live radio broadcast of the season. We're going to be at VMP Healthcare and Community Living in Milwaukee and West Dallas. Stop by from noon until 6. Help us spread the holiday cheer. The folks at VMP Healthcare do a great job. They set up sort of like this winter wonderland, and we're out in our mobile broadcast facility out in the parking lot, and and they've got They've got hot chocolate. They've got oh, all sorts of great stuff. They've got coffee. They've got uh, treats. They have hot dogs. And, of course, the, the whole purpose is to have people come over, and they've got the whole place decorated. They've got all these activities. Fire departments are there a lot of times. They have this big roaring bonfire that's really cool. Most years, I don't know what they're going to be doing this year, but most years they have something like a um, oh, like a horse-drawn wagon or something, hay ride, stuff like that. It's just, it's just a lot of fun, and this is... Again, it's our first one this Friday. We do one a week from Friday. But if you happen to be in the area, be sure to come by and stop off and say hello. All right. As you sit down and watch holiday movies, there's going to be a lot of classic holiday movies. One of the more relatively recent holiday movies that gets a lot of attention is Home Alone. The whole premise of Home Alone is you have this really busy family and they're getting to go on a vacation somewhere warm over Christmas time, and they forget it's a big family, and they forget the Macaulay Culkin character and leave him home alone, okay? And then hilarity ensues, all right? Well, all right, that's that's the movies. It's not necessarily real life. Now, I just, I, let me back into this topic. I um I, I think my mom and dad were, were just great parents. I, I do. I, and I don't think they did anything bad in raising me, and I think I turned out okay, all right? I, I think I turned out okay. But I, I will tell you, I've never liked shopping. I, I just don't. Some people have that shopping gene. I just, I don't like shopping. I, I just don't, and I never have. And so there were times when I was, when I was a kid, and I'm talking about, I don't know, eight or nine years old, things like that. I can remember that my parents we would go out and they'd go to the mall or whatever to go shopping or they'd go to the grocery store to go shopping and i wouldn't want to go inside because the idea of wandering even at that young age the idea of wandering through you know aisles of a grocery store or a shopping mall or you know they're running into a store to pick up something it just i i didn't wouldn't be happy so i said can i stay in the car now again i was like 8 or 9 years old and they would let me stay in the car and I'd read comic books or whatever. I, I'd occupy myself in the car while they went in. Now we weren't talking about leaving me in a in a car for hours and hours, but it was while they ran in to do a little bit of shopping. All right. Well, it is a different time. Here is the story out of the Journal Sentinel. Twenty-six year old woman was arrested November sixteenth after two women called police when they saw kids alone inside a car in the parking lot of the Kmart in Cudahy. Huh. I didn't know they had Kmarts around anymore. They're they're closing Kmarts right and left. I told this story the other day. I still remember when I was in law school, there used to be a Kmart on like 76th and Good Hope. And I'm not proud of this, but right before the Kmarts closed, like at 9 o'clock, all the food that they had, instead of throwing it out, they'd have these like specials. You know, so instead of having to pay $2 for the hot dog, you could get for 10 cents. Now, granted, it'd probably been sitting around for Lord knows how long, but... I was a hungry law student. So we we would actually, true story, we would go to the Kmart right before closing and see what food they had that we could pick up for pennies on the dollar. Somehow I survived. In any event, I digress. 26-year-old woman arrested after two women called police when they saw kids alone inside a car in the parking lot of the Kmart. She was charged with two felonies and a misdemeanor, neglect of a child. 
All right, so here, here's the deal. According to the criminal complaint, there's three kids in the car. 17-month-old girl found in a booster seat wearing a pajama onesie, okay? Six-and-a-half-month-old girl in an infant carrier with a blanket, although her bare feet were sticking through. A girl who had turned six, just turned six, um, was also in the car. Police also noticed the younger children's diapers were dirty. Um, police paged the woman inside the Kmart, and she told them that she asked the six-year-old girl to watch her sisters because she couldn't fit all three in a shopping cart and didn't want to have to deal with seat-belting the kids in a cart. All right? So that's her story. She runs into the Kmart. She leaves the three kids in the car. Uh, the lady said she thought she had been in the store for seven or eight minutes before police paged her. Surveillance video showed that she was in the Kmart for approximately 17 minutes before the police arrived. Cudahy police noticed there were no diapers, formula, food, or drink cups in the car for the children. Okay, so here's the deal. Lady's got to do some shopping. She's got these three little kids, six and a half months, 17 months, six years old. She runs to the Kmart. She wants to run in. She leaves the three of them alone in the car, and she's in there. She thought it was for less than 10 minutes. It turned out to be 17 minutes. All right. Is this felony child neglect or simply, I don't know, bad judgment on the part of a frazzled mother? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Should mom be convicted of a felony for doing this? 414-799-1620. Or is that a, an overreaction? And, and even if even if you don't leave kids alone in cars anymore, felony charges? What do you think? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Her story is, I just had to run in to get some stuff. And I, I just, I didn't want to deal with belting them in and the shopping carts weren't big enough for this. So I just ran in. Obviously, she stayed a little bit longer. Kids were not injured. Okay. Does mom deserve to get a felony conviction for this? 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a minute. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 142. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 145, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Eric Bill said, you blame me for this. You say that it seems like this time of day on an almost regular basis in the middle of my show, we have one of these like weird traffic things. There's always this very interesting midday gray area when we have an incident like this that calls for extra traffic, which calls for many people sitting in their cars not moving. I don't know what it is about... One to two thirty. Right, it always seems to <laughs> that's it, and and it, it's not us doing that to try to increase the amount of time that people have like to listen to the radio. Right. Oh, I was supposed to be here in ten minutes, but now I'm stuck in the car, so I've got you for another forty five minutes. Well, welcome. We're glad to have you. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Here's the story. If you're just tuning in, November sixteenth. What happens is this woman with she's twenty six. She goes to the Kmart in Cudahy. She's got three kids that she leaves in the car. 17-month-old in a booster seat wearing a pajama onesie, six-and-a-half-month-old girl in an infant carrier with a blanket, and a a six-and-a-half-year-old girl. Some people are saying, what was the temperature outside? It was 35 degrees. She runs in. She intended to be there for a few minutes. She thought she had been there like six to eight minutes. The surveillance video shows she'd been there for 17 minutes before police arrive. Two people call and say these kids are alone in the car. The cops come. They page her. She's there. Now she's been charged with two felonies and a misdemeanor, 414-799-1620. And again, I'll start off the conversation here. 
I, with all due respect to the, whoever made this charging decision, I think it's crazy to charge her with a felony for this. I mean, I, I mean, you're, when you're talking child neglect, to me, child neglect is, my gosh, I, I, the mom runs off for the weekend, leaving the kids home alone in the freezing apartment so she can go, you know, drink or whatever or, or do cocaine or whatever. This is a lady who runs into the store for a few minutes. She stays longer than, than she intended to. All right. The police come. I got it. They page her. She immediately responds. I think to charge her with a felony is a gross overreaction. Did Is this the best example of parenting? Well, no, it, it's probably not. Although, like I say, my guess is if I asked for a show of hands, all sorts of people would say that they were left alone in cars for a period of time. But, I mean, a felony? Is this really... Is this what the child neglect standards were, were meant to? Leaving your kid unattended in a locked car for at, at least, you know, for, for 15 minutes in a parking lot at a store? 414-799-1620. Vincent on the northwest side. Vincent, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. You know, this is a horrible overcharge uh, of an individual. You know, the fact is she made a horrible, horrible judgment mm-hmm. of leaving a six-year-old to take care of two little small, two little small babies. Right. You know, and 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 I understand that, but the fact is, you could, you know, you could have gave her a ticket, you know, and and, and all the things. Well, if the baby, the kids are all right, give yeah. her a ticket and tell her, hey, she should never ever do this again. Right, scare her straight, but, but yeah. with two felonies, this is absolutely ridiculous. Well, right, it's not like she. I mean, again, if if she had if she had split for the weekend, she leaves the children with the six year old in charge, you know, to go out drinking for hours and hours or something, mm-hmm. or to run off with a boyfriend or whatever for a weekend. I get that, but this is hey, I've got these three kids; they don't fit in the car carriers. I've got to run in and do some quick shopping. All right, should she have done it? I'm with you. Probably an error in judgment, but. I mean, for felony? Come on! No, no, they're, they're, you know, you, uh, the fact is, you putting this 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 lady lady through too much trauma. And she's already dealing with trauma with all these kids she's got to deal with. <laughs> well, right. But, but the fact is, is that no, you know, you, you you try to sympathize with her a little bit, give her a ticket, and say, hey, never do this again because because horrible things can happen. Right, exactly. Thank, now, change the facts a little bit. Say, all right, it was twenty degrees, and she left the kids for an hour. And, you know, one of them had hypothermia or whatever or frostbite. Okay, I, you change the facts a little and maybe I come down with a different conclusion. But I see what happens here. Here you have this, this harried mother who's got to run in and grab some stuff. And, you know, she just, for whatever reason, you know, doesn't want to deal with the three small children and trying to wrap them up and take them out and put them in the cart and deal with this. She wants to, my guess is she intended to run in there and do some quick shopping. And sometimes what happens is you delay it a little bit. And I'm not saying it's the best judgment. Don't get me wrong. It's not the best judgment. She should have probably pulled them all out, taken them in, you know, did that, or, you know, made arrangements to go shopping some other time. But I guess what struck me is a recommendation of a felony for this conduct. I mean, gosh, when I hear child neglect, I think of, Child neglect, not here, watch your watch your brother and sister or your sisters or whatever while I run inside. I'll be back in a couple minutes. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty Theodore in Milwaukee. Theodore, you're on WTMJ. Well, the first time I've ever been able to get through here. I've caught you at least six times. Well, glad to have you. I am I am I going soft on this one or does she deserve a felony? No. My mom used to leave me alone by myself. Here this is an extreme case. When I was little, my brothers were supposed to be watching me. They were in another room playing games. I'm a baby. I'm crawling around on the floor. 
That's where I find a key. I suck an electric socket. Oh, I got geez. a little, little shock to myself. Did anybody call the cops? Did anybody say anything? No. If this is the case, then you might as well lock up every mother, father in the entire world well, in the freaking planet because that's almost impossible. It's well, not like it was like 30 below or something. No. They probably had the, the heat on. Uh, there was a, you know, maybe it was a bad choice having a six-year-old watch a baby, but the baby was secure and the doors were locked. You know, I think we're becoming so conscientious and observant of everybody but ourselves. We're always trying to get other people in trouble. We're always trying to, you know. Well, I guess, I mean. Just like with the Charlie Brown thing. I mean, that's ridiculous. I well, mean, th- Theodore, thanks, thanks for calling me. Don't, 60 years. Yeah, I don't, yeah. don't want to go for, too far afield. But, but yeah, I mean, I guess I, I look at this. And, and do I think that this is, right, should she have done it? Well, no, I, I'm, I'm willing to accept the fact that this is a mistake. I guess the question becomes, what what good do you do? Do you, are we going to put this woman in jail for three years? I mean, really, are we going to put her in prison for three years? I mean, okay, you're going to give her a felony conviction. Are we going to fine her? I don't know what the fine is: five thousand, ten thousand dollars per count. I mean, what what purpose are we trying to accomplish by charging her with a a felony? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to Bill on the north side. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Uh, Jeff, great topic. You know, I'm a, a social worker, deal with foster kids, deal with children in different situations. We're in a new world. It's a new concept. Uh, change the paradigm. You do not leave kids in the car anymore. This is not 1962 or 82. The concept has changed. Mm-hmm. If the child, if there's not a 12-year-old or older to watch those children, you do not leave those children. I don't care if it's a blizzard outside. You wrap them up best you can, and you take them and you take them in there with you. Uh, if they cut up or whatever, you just don't leave those kids out there anymore. The people will go in and steal the kids. Accidents could happen. Somebody could hit the hit the car while uh, she's inside. They're just it's different now. Well, okay, Bill, I, now, I, and I'm going to accept your see, no, no, see, I'm going to accept your premise. That you okay. that, that she was wrong in doing this, okay? For all the different things that you said, you know, be, something bad could happen. But I guess my question is, it, so she she does this. It's not two days. And if, if you're a social worker, my guess is you could tell me story. You could tell a story that would curl everybody's hair about the right. kind of crappy parents that are there out there. I guess my question is, even if we all agree that this was not model parenting and that she was wrong. Does she need to be charged with a felony for doing this? I mean, is this really child neglect as opposed to just simply bad judgment? Now, have you you talked about sometimes judges give sentences to change, to send a message? Yeah. Okay. This is a new message. Parents, you have the honor and right responsibility of those children. Now, no longer can you leave them alone in a car, in a vehicle, under any circumstances anymore, it's changed. So you think it's the felony like is appropriate for the deterrent uh, value? It's, it's, it's a deterrent value. There you go. Okay. It has, they just you just don't do that anymore. Well, thanks for calling. Again, I, I understand. And and look, I, I'm not I'm not defending I'm not defending leaving the kids alone. I guess that's 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 not. I she shouldn't have done that. I get it. I just think when when I think about child neglect. And I think about felonies and I think about potential prison exposure for, for years. I, I think 
I think it needs to be more than, gee, it's a lit parking lot of a Kmart, and I left the kids for 15 minutes. That, to me, just doesn't rise to the level of felonies. And I guess I understand the whole idea of, of general deterrence, but I... I, I'm not sure that there's too many other mothers who are, you know, going to be saying, "Oh, gee, I, I this I heard this story about this woman at the Cudahy Kmart. She got prison time, so I'm going to, you know, I'm going to pack up my kids and bring them in." I mean, this is it's an educational thing, I guess. I just think that to use the criminal justice system in this fashion is, is a is a huge waste. I don't know the race of the mother involved, but I mean, I, I'm listening. I, I get all this feedback about Jeff. You're you're the lock em up guy. You're the one that's talking about mass incarceration, getting people off the streets. And I'm hearing, you know, the, the argument, the blowback I get as well. You know, we've got limited prison space. And so that's why when you have these people that are committing all these crimes, we've got to put them out on probation. And then we've got to give them double secret probation. And then we've got to do triple secret probation. And we've got to just play around with this. And, okay, so that's the argument I get. So now we have a mom who leaves the car, kids in the car for 17 minutes, bad judgment, Nothing bad happened to the kids. Change the facts a little. Maybe I come down differently. But I'm sorry. I just I continue to not see this as a felony prosecution. Bad parenting, maybe. Child neglect in and of itself, not so much so. 156, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Hey, coming up in the next hour of the program, lots of great stuff. We're going to talk a little bit about climate change. We're going to talk about cultural appropriation and Kevin Hart, the comedian, it's all going to be interesting. Stick around. 156, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's Joy, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So, Melissa, let, let me, you know, you're involved in our production tonight, you know, the the big WTMJ events yes. and stuff, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. this portion of the proceeds going to Kids to Kids Christmas. I have good news and bad news. Let me give you the good news first. Okay. okay? Now, it's at Turner Hall downtown. And last year, we were competing against a, a Bucks game, and traffic was, was kind of, parking was, was sort of difficult, because you had other people that were going to the, the, the Bucks game as well. Um, tonight, there is no Bucks no game. Bucks game. No yes. Bucks game. No Bucks game. Mm-hmm. No Bucks game. So that's the good news. The ba- <laughs> I, know what, I know what the bad news the is. The bad news <laughs> is the World Wrestling, WWE, is making, I believe, their debut at the Pfizer Forum. And that is that is tonight. Well, if I know WWE fans, it's going to be crowded down there. It, it will <laughs> it will be packed. Okay, so so Gru, who is up on all these things, who's wrestling tonight? You follow this stuff. Who, who's, who's the headliner? You hope John Cena is there, but you don't know who the headliner is? Ronda Rousey and she's should be not there. WWE. Is she WWE yeah, no, she's now? WWE. She, yeah, she was. She oh, was she changed. Of, she was a cage fighter, and then she's right, she was that. like MMA, like all that. Okay, so, here, so Melissa here, which I really think is going on. So I asked my producer Gru. I said, "Hey, are you going to be down and going to the event uh, to our to our show?" And he said, "No, nah, no, nah, I'm. I've got some other stuff to do." Oh no! Truth is, you're. Pro- are, are you really going? Is it the WWE? No. Oh. <laughs> okay. No, he's not. He swears. He's he's got other stuff to do beyond that. But um so if you're coming down to our event and you wonder why are all these people going through yeah. with like foam figure <laughs> fingers or in costumes or things like that, it's because it's it's the WWE. But our doors open at five thirty. Yeah. So hopefully We'll, we'll get started before that show. Well, I'm curious about Ronda Rousey because she's used to being pretty bad in the in the ring and everything. How's she going to switch to WWE where it's a little, you know, you don't really get hurt. You're not supposed to get hurt. But... Okay, we, we've just exhausted my interest in the subject right there. Just curious. No, I understand. I, I was interested in it only from a parking perspective yeah, for you and me and for <laughs> all the, the hundreds and hundreds of people who are going to be attended. Be, oh, right. Beyond it, what character Ronda Rousey is playing in the WWE, that's, which, which isn't saying. I wasn't a wrestling fan at some point in time. All right. 
It is my chance to be the you-know-what in the punch bowl. Okay, this this is a role I play gladly. For years, I have been talking about Tom's trolley folly, the, the ridiculousness of going back to 19th and 20th century technology and building a, a streetcar. And I understand we, we've talked about this. Um, oh, the millennials are going to be flocking downtown. People are going to love this, et cetera, et cetera. And my prediction has been, again, 10 years from now, when Tom Barrett is no longer the mayor and you've got a different common council and people are looking at what I believe the ridership will be then, I think people are going to say this is nuts. And you're already seeing that in a number of cities. Maybe I will be wrong. But but one of the things is since the streetcar, the trolley started operating, it's like everybody is drinking the Kool-Aid. I mean, you, I see no, no um no critical coverage of this at all. It's whether it's on TV or whether it's in the newspaper or whether it's on these. This is it's just fawning. Oh my gosh, this is the greatest thing in the world. And all these naysayers. Well, it's just they got horse and buggy thinking. Well, okay, my argument would be this is horse and buggy technology. But but again, allow me to be the you know what in the the punch bowl because there was again an article that appeared in the Journal Sentinel the other day. Ridership of the hop, the new Milwaukee streetcar. Average 21,191 riders in the first two weeks. Ridership of the hop, the new $124 million Milwaukee streetcar, has exceeded projections according to figures provided by the administration of Mayor Tom Barrett. Okay, all right, that, that, that's fine. But then I'm wondering, okay, where, where is the kind of the breakdown on these numbers? And maybe somebody will ask a critical question, but no, no, no. So here, here, here's the deal, and here are the numbers. What they estimate, I'm sorry, I don't mean to make you do math at 2 o'clock on a Monday afternoon, but I, I've done the math for you, so bear with me. What what they estimate is for the first two weeks, the first 14 days, the the streetcar had an average daily ridership of 2,191 distinct riders, all right? Um, and that means it, it could be the same person rode it six times, but each one would be a different ride. Okay. Their projection was it was going to be 1,850. So this is, they say, this is great. We've got, you know, we have 2,191. We projected 1,850. We actually have about 340 more people riding than we thought. Ah, ah, huzzah, huzzah. All right. Well, maybe. Work with me on this one. So 2,191 a day, 14 days. If we round up a little bit, let's give them the benefit of the doubt. That translates into over 14 days, 30,800 rides. Okay. So that's the number. 30,800 rides. All right. That, that's great. Let's even round up. Let's call it 31,000 rides just for the sake of argument. All right. Well, here, here's the deal. The opening weekend, which is where they had all the free giveaways and all the attention. The opening weekend, the first three days drew more than 16,000 riders. And then a week ago Saturday had the highest day. That drew 3,800. So in other words, those four days, the first three days, the opening weekend, and one Saturday a week and a half ago, that's where 20,000 of the 31,000 riders came. So what that means is, if you ta- and I, again, this is time will tell, but if you take out the, those three big days on opening weekend where they had all the giveaways and the specials and one big day on Saturday, for the remaining 10 days, that leaves an average of about 1,100 riders per day, which is 
way below what their projections were. Now, you can argue, well, Jeff, that's not fair. They said the average, and so average, you're going to have some days that are really, really high in ridership, and that's going to cause the numbers to spike. And so they're, they're not really lying with statistics. I mean, average is average. And I, I, and that is a fair argument to make. All I am saying is that if you look at the majority of days, 10 of the 14 days, you take out opening weekend, which is kind of a, a special thing in and of itself, and you take out that one big Saturday, those four days gone, the rest of the time you've got well below what the average projection was. And again, I understand average is an average, and time will tell. But as time goes on and more days get brokered in here, and you get further and further away from that huge number that you did when everybody just wanted to treat it as a novelty act, that's going to be really where the proof is in the pudding. Remember last week, the day before Thanksgiving, you had the streetcar that, that broke down and had to be towed back? Well, it wasn't too much of an inconvenience to anybody except people who were driving in that area because there were only two people on the streetcar at, at that time. Now, that may be atypical as well. All I'm saying is I, I'd like to – I think people need to stop necessarily drinking the Kool-Aid because now it's built – it is this incredibly uncritical – coverage and you know maybe somebody would say well that's great you had this really big opening weekend and that's super but you know the the numbers if you take away that opening weekend the numbers really they're they're not pacing out like you thought the average was going to be all right will we get that kind of critical analysis i don't know all right let us switch gears cultural appropriation that's the that's the buzzword for the the last couple years and again some of the politically correct and the perpetually offended Cultural appropriation is essentially somebody, it would be a white guy wearing a sombrero to a, to a, to a party, um, a Halloween party. You can't wear the sombrero because you are, if you are not Mexican, you are dressing up like somebody who is a Mexican, and so you are appropriating the culture, and so this is racist or, or whatever. That, that would be an example of cultural appropriation. God can't do that. Can't wear that sombrero. Here's the story. Kevin Hart. Do you know who Kevin Hart is, Gru? You do. Kevin Hart, um, very, very popular comedian, been in a number of movies. He happens to be black. All right. He and his wife had a baby last year, and the baby just turned one. The uh, couple's son is named Kenzo. All right. So they decided to have a birthday party for their one-year-old son. So they invited friends and family. But they decided to make this what they thought was going to be a fun birthday party. So they had a theme. The theme of the birthday party for their one-year-old was cowboys and Indians. And what happened is many of the guests came dressed up in costume as either cowboys or Indians. For example, I'm looking at a picture of the the one-year-old, and he's dressed in a cowboy outfit. He's got a cowboy hat on. He's got a red kerchief. He's wearing, you know, an outfit with looks like horses and stuff on. He's dressed up like a little cowboy. A number of the men and women, the picture I'm looking at is predominantly women, they came dressed up as Native Americans. Now, in the picture I'm looking at, it, I don't know if this makes a difference. They happen to be all, appear to me to be African-American women, but I, I could be wrong on that. But they all came wearing, they're all wearing 
like like blankets, like serapes or something like that. So you know, and they they look very nice, but they're they're dressed like that. Some of the other children came wearing cowboy hats, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And again, many of the people, the attendees, particularly the women, they came dressed um, as Native Americans. All right. So then the mom takes a picture. Mom puts the picture up there, says, hey, we had this party. And the Internet has gone crazy. The Internet has gone crazy. Mom posts this thing saying, Zoe's Cowboy and Indians party was nothing but amazing. Thanks to everyone for coming. We love you guys. And then people, oh, this is just wrong on so many levels. Um, it is sickening. As a person of color, you should know better. Um, cowboys and Indians couldn't you afford a publicist who would explain the reality of such a terrible idea? Oh, is this terrible? What the blank were you thinking? Not obvious. Obviously, you weren't thinking. I guess if you have money, it's all right to be stupid and offensive. All right. 414-799-1620. It was a Cowboys and Indians themed party for their one year old and people came dressed. All right. Is this a reason to be offended? Or is this much ado about nothing? 414-799-1620. Back to discuss in just a moment. 222, Jeff Wagner, WTM. Just tuning in. Kevin Hart, who happens to be African-American, he, he's got a one-year-old baby. He and his wife have a party, and it, it's a kid's party, but they invite, you know, they invite other kids, and they invite their friends and family, and it's got a theme, cowboys and Indians. A number of people come dressed up either as cowboys or as, quote-unquote, Indians, number of the women show up in, it looks like, serapes and things like that, and they take pictures. Well, now they're getting all kinds of static. The term is cultural appropriation. How insensitive can you be? All right, has the world gone mad? 414-799-1620. That's the, the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with Linda in Cedarburg. Hi, Linda. Hi, how are you? I'm well, thank you. Okay, it's a birthday party for a one-year-old. Cowboys and Indians. If, if, if people are so hypersensitive, and you know, it's, my husband is Native American, and it's just, it's just, it's just such such a shame that even this this allows you to open the door door and talk about cowboys and Indians. You know, <laughs> I mean, so it's it's just it's just sad. I mean, I mean, are we going to be upset if they do a Barney theme and you're dressed as a purple dinosaur? Is that a, you know offends archaeologists? I mean, it's just it's just crazy. Well, it, I mean, it, it is, and it, it does make you wonder, you know, where you end up drawing the the line if you. If you have a, I mean, and I, I guess I don't know. If you have a party that's okay, it's going to be a night in Italy party, and so people come dressed up like you know you you might expect if you went to Rome or something like that. I mean, that is that now going to be offensive? I mean, where where do you end up drawing the line? And and these outfits, I mean, it's I, I think they were respectful. Like I say, they're wearing serapes. The kids, the the children are are dressed like cowboys. Okay, that's I mean that that's a common sort of costume for goodness sakes. Well, and people are. Sucking the life out of everything. Yes. Yeah. Right. Right. There's no such thing as being able to have fun anymore. You can't pretend anything because, again, you've got the politically correct police that are out there. Again, the, the people that are looking to be offended by something. Look, I, I understand why, for example, blackface. And that's we're just getting past the Halloween thing. And, and you always have these stories about the, you know, the white people that dress up in blackface and and don't get why 
with the the historical significance that that ends up being offensive. But seriously, cowboys and Indians, have we now reached that point as well where you you can't have the kid dress up as a cowboy? Don't do that. And and heaven forbid, if somebody comes dressed up as a traditional Native American, that's going to be offensive as well. Is that really where we are? Or are we overreacting and taking things way, way, way too seriously? David in Milwaukee. David, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, David. Go ahead. Yes. You're on the air. You know, I, uh, I'm i 50 years old. I remember playing Cowboys and Indians as a kid. Mm-hmm. I didn't find it offensive then. I still don't find it offensive now. Uh, yeah. I mean, thanks. I, I, again, I, I, remember, I remember the same sort of thing. I mean, I remember when I was a little kid, I had like a little cowboy hat, and you had the, the cap guns. Yes, back then we we had these cap guns and stuff. And yes, my parents let me go out in the yard and play it. And you'd you'd kind of you'd kind of shoot at each other, right? You you do the whole cowboy and Indian thing. I can remember you'd have these little toy bow and arrows and stuff. And I, I get to an extent that that was sort of another era. As I've always said, I grew up in the era where we actually had these things called jarts and lawn jarts and things like that that you would throw and play. But but the idea that we're going to be offended by this stuff, the idea that somebody's going to see this, it's a kid's birthday party. There's nothing that anybody did that is mocking the the for example the Native American culture. I mean, they came dressed up, and again, most of them are, are wearing like like blankets and stuff like that. That that's that that's it. At the same time. You know, have we lost our ability to have any sort of fun at all? Now, interestingly, uh, the Kevin Hart's people, they're, they're not responding to this. And I, I'd kind of like them to do it because the way the way you deal with some of these, again, these culture warriors, I, I think it's just to tell them you got to lighten up and you've got to end up having a sense of humor. Now, it's apparently worse because in this case, you know, they're African-American. So how could you possibly have been that? that insensitive well i don't think they were insensitive at all again this is another example of wagner's rule of life number one which is life is tough and, and you need to get a helmet from time to time and for people who are upset about a one-year-old's birthday party being themed cowboys and indians that would apply to you 227 jeff wagner wtmj it's 235 jeff wagner wtmj We'll continue to keep you updated about the mess on the freeway. This is now, what, the second time in around a week that you've had the the freeway closed down because of an investigation into a a shooting incident. Remember, was it a week ago or so, maybe 10 days ago, you had the freeway that was shut down for several hours while law enforcement was out there investigating, again, a shots fired sort of thing. And they have to do that. I mean, they've got to go out and they've got to collect evidence, which means walking up and down the roadways looking for bullet casings and things like that. It's it's a very labor-intensive sort of process. And while they're doing it, obviously, if you've got a report of shots fired on the freeway, you, you can't have... You can't have investigators or sheriff deputies or whatever walking while traffic is going, so you've got no choice but to close down the freeway. Now, you know, we're still awaiting details, but it appears that that's happened again in the Marquette Interchange, another one of these shooting instances, which is why the the outgoing sheriff, Richard Schmidt, is so incredibly frustrated with the fact that you've got people driving around the streets of Milwaukee with the impulse control of a fruit fly who decide that their response to... I don't know, somebody cutting them off is to pull out a gun and start shooting or 
you know, their response to somebody they don't like is to pull out a gun and start shooting. It's just, it's kind of like the wild, wild west. And so we'll continue to keep you updated and the, the traffic situation. But right now, portions of the market interchange closed because, again, a, a law enforcement investigative thing. Don't know all the details, but my guess is they are, they are looking for evidence, presumably of another sort of shooting. All right. Last week, late last week, uh, Wednesday, I think, there, there was a new, assessment that the government put out talking about climate change or or global warning warming and the the bottom line if i just kind of give you that the bottom line of this it said that well things are getting bad that you have you know warnings there's climate change on the united states predicting that if significant steps aren't taken to rein in global warming the damage could knock as much as 10 percent off the size of the american economy by centuries end. All right. So it's saying that this is, unless something happens, it's going to be a big deal. It's going to move the, where you grow some crops. It's going to, you know, hurt the ability of people to live in certain parts of the country, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm sure there's a lot of validity to this. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm not one of these climate change deniers, although I do believe sometimes this stuff gets overreacted. But but at the same time, obviously, you've got more people, and there are more strains on the world's natural resources and things like that. So let us take this as, as a given, that there's an issue with climate change, all right? The New York Times, of all places, had a very, very interesting story that, that talks about the other aspect of climate change, and it's something that I don't think gets as much attention. The number one contributor to climate change is coal. The use of coal to provide energy. Coal is relatively cheap. It's plentiful. It is relatively cheap. And it's also dirty. It it just is. It, it, when you compare it to natural gas, it is a huge pollutant. And in the United States, what we are seeing is that we are we are weaning ourselves away from coal and we're doing that because natural gas right now and the way we have of extracting national natural gas with fracking and things like that has become so much more efficient that it it's cheaper to go with natural gas which is the superior alternative to producing uh, again producing energy with coal right that is in the united states the new york times it's Again, it's a really interesting piece. The headline is, the world needs to quit coal. Why is it so hard? And what it goes on to talk about is the fact that across the world, coal is the fuel juggernaut. Now, now again, I understand we focus on the United States and what President Trump did or didn't do, but, but here's what it says. Home to half the world's population, Asia accounts for three-fourths of global coal consumption today. More important, it accounts for more than three-fourths of the coal plants that are either under construction or in the planning stages. So we we talk about the, the U.S., and here we need stricter controls for this or that or whatever. But if you go back to the premise that the number one thing contributing to climate change, if you believe it exists, is the fact that you've got coal. Well, Asia... Asia uses coal, and Asia has no intention of stopping. China consumes half of the world's coal. 
more than 4.3 million Chinese are employed in the country's coal mines. China has added 40% of the world's coal capacity since 2002, which is a huge increase. So where you have countries like the United States, where the economics are making it more desirable to shift to, again, some of these cleaner things or natural gas, well, China... China is just saying, dig, 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 baby, dig and burn. That's where we're going to get the, you know, that's where we're getting our power. Same thing is true in Vietnam. You know, Vietnam for years and years had huge problems with with being able to generate enough electricity. Well, pretty much nowadays in Vietnam, every household, it's 95 million people, has electricity and they're their energy needs are growing and growing and growing. Why is that? Because coal accounts for 36% of their power generation capacity now. It's going to be 42% by 2030. Um, Vietnam is, is using coal. Again, this is in Asia. Then we get to India. And again, India, huge. 1.3 billion people. Um, even five years ago, Apparently in India, what they talk about is how the power grid was was just a disaster. They couldn't get enough power. Ceiling fans would cut out in the hot summer. Factories ran on diesel generators. People were furious. And so to fix the electricity problem, what happened is India turned to coal. And so now it's the same sort of thing. They're big into coal. The government is deeply invested into coal mines, and what they're doing is is they're they're all in. They want the power, they want the electricity, and and yeah, you can talk all you want about climate change, but the truth of the matter is, it, it's it, it's coal which is fueling this. And in a lot of these developing or developed countries, however you want to describe it, I mean they're they're committed to coal. So, you know, we can talk about the problems in the U.S., and we can say, well, maybe what we need to do is figure out a way to increase the mileage on cars for another couple, get a couple more gallons. But the truth of the matter is, and this is the uncomfortable truth, that that's, even if you believe climate change, that's nibbling around the edges. What you have to do is look at what is going on in the world, look at these big countries, look at China, look at India, for example, and they're, number one, using a ton of coal. And number two, they don't show any signs of significantly changing coal. So if we accept that climate change is real, all right, and there are things that the United States could do to be more energy efficient and to reduce the supply of greenhouse grass gases, but you're not going to make a significant dent unless these other countries, the big users, particularly of coal, decide that they're going to get on board and the reality is they're not. They have no intention of doing that because they have enormous populations that want energy. And right now, for China and for India, coal is the cheap way to get the energy that they need. So, yes, climate change is an issue. But is it an issue that the United States can take on and make any sort of meaningful change as long as you have these other countries that are deciding that we'd rather have the energy than worry about what's going to happen 80 years from now to the environment. So I appreciate that it's a difficult issue, and I appreciate that, you know, over time you are going to see some changes. But unless unless this is taken on by the world, and unless places like China 
And unless places like India decide that they are going to make a commitment to significantly alter where they are getting power, a change that they're not going to make, seems to me there's not too much that we in the United States can do about that. And that's one of the untold lessons of this report. 244, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 247, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. See, this is, it's the untold story, and it's one of the things that I find to be extremely frustrating about people who want to talk about climate change, which is, okay, regardless, regardless of where you come down on this issue, and people will argue about how significant the problem is going to be 70, 80, 90 years from now, and whether we'll try and find ways to adapt. I, oh, right. Regardless of where you come down on that, that issue, the, the truth is, all right. More people using more fossil fuels, what do we do about it? Now, again, in the United States, we have, just because of the e- economics of it, you know, we've moved away from coal-fired power, power plants and things like that. And I guess you, you can argue, gee, should we, do we need more regulation? Do we need less regulation? Should we tighten the standards so that, you know, automobile engines have to get 30 miles a gallon or 32 miles a gallon instead of 30, or whatever the number is? And, and and that's that's all well and good, and you can have the, this discussion. But the elephant in the room is that you have these giant countries that are polluting. If you want to say there's no such thing as clean coal, they're they're, they're polluting because they are they're in a different stage of their development. You know they are they are becoming more and more industrialized, and to do that, they need energy. They need power. Their citizens are demanding, hey, a power grid that doesn't cut out for five hours every day. And so what they're doing is they're finding that coal is a plentiful option for that. So and until you can get we, we can talk about all this other stuff and it's fine. But the truth of the matter is, until you get places like China and India to commit that, OK, we're not going to use coal, we're going to move to other things. Nothing significant is going to happen. Everything else is kind of nibbling around the edges. So. Yeah, talk about this in Congress. That that's all well and good. That's fine. Talk about tougher standards, and we can argue the effect of those standards on the overall environment versus what they're going to do to jobs and manufacturing. But until you deal with the elephant in the room, which is again places like China and India, you're not going to accomplish anything at all. And it would be nice for some of the celebrities who decide they want to make this the cause to all right, maybe maybe they can use some of their dollars to kind of focus on that. Story today. Now, it's interesting. The stock market, stock market, stock market after uh, just a relentlessly bad two weeks, up about 340 points in the Dow, the Nasdaq up 138 points. So it's a good day today after a couple of bad weeks. Interestingly, this is in the face of some rather disappointing news from General Motors. General Motors announced that they were going to be laying off 15% of their salaried workers and halting production at five plants in the U.S. and Canada. Now, this is part of their overall global restructuring, but um, no more production to an assembly plant in Ontario, to an assembly plant in Ohio, and an assembly plant in kind of the Detroit area after December of next year. It's also going to um, stop allocating production at propulsion plants in Maryland and in Warren, Michigan after 2019. And these changes, these change, they're also, they're going to cut 15% of their salaried workforce, 
laying off 25% of their executives in order to streamline decision-making. Plus, they say they're going to close an extra two plants um, outside of North America by the end of 2019. Those locations have not yet been announced, and the company says it expects to save $6 billion in cash as part of the restructuring, and Wall Street is applauding this. Um, GM stock has, has been climbing. It is interesting that a company says we're scaling back, we're laying off people, we're closing factories, we're not going to be producing as much of our product, and that that generates a positive response that has the stock going up 7%. I mean, it makes you wonder if they closed the whole thing, would the stock double in volume? You know, the problem that GM has is the problem that, you know, a, a number of the old line auto manufacturers have is that um, sales have been sliding on cars in both the U.S. and in, in China. Last October, GM tried to offer a buyout to employees, but the, the bottom line is people just aren't buying their products as much, which is why you had some of the other auto manufacturers that have shifted. They've, they've gotten out of the car business, essentially. So now all they do is they, they manufacture SUVs because that's where the interest is. I don't know what the future of General Motors is going to be, but the reality is it, it's it's a problem right now because this hits home. It, it's, not just, it's not just the executives who work for General Motors, and it's not just the people who work at the plants producing these various cars, but it's also all the people who work in the automobile industry from all the dealerships around here who sell General Motors products to the, the salespeople that sell it, to the people that service it, etc. I don't think it is ever good when you have plants closing. Sometimes it's necessary, but it's never good when you have plants closing, people losing their jobs. And it is interesting to me that that's now what you got to do to get a, a bump in your stock. Maybe maybe the better thing to do is to try to figure out wh- where is the market now? What do consumers want and how can we provide, you know, the consumers with that? Grow the company instead of trying to cut it back, but by cutting it back in this case, the stock market and Wall Street responds positively. Sometimes I just don't get these things. It's 2.53. When we come back, we're going to find out what John McCure has on his mind for Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.